welcome to the Catalyst Life Coaching Podcast with John Kim and Noelle Cordell. The next Catalyst Life Coaching Intensive begins November 12th. If you're inspired to begin your own coaching practice or just want to learn a little bit more about what it's all about, visit shift.us, S-H-F-T for more information. Your adventure awaits. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Catalyst Life Coaching Podcast. Uh, with me today is Science. <laughs> so I, I, Noelle's new nickname is Science, uh, said because she's the science behind everything. And um, I asked her what the opposite of science was because that would be me, and her answer was ignorance. <laughs> but then we Googled it, and it's actually magic. Yes, or magic or art. So um, with you guys today is a little bit of science and a little bit of magic. Science and magic. I like it. I like it. Right yes. in time for Halloween. Absolutely. Um, and so what we're going to talk about today is empathy, right? The, mm-hmm. two, the, the two types of empathy. Yeah. Empathy is a big deal. I think it's been a buzzword that we've been hearing a lot in the news recently. And it's, it's, a, a, it's a trait that we all have and can build it and exercise it like a muscle. Um, and I think it's something that not a lot of people understand um, in context of how you can use it and work with it. Yeah, so let's talk about that. But I do agree that with everything that's going on in the world, um, the good news is it's creating a space for us to actually uh, feel and, and be empathetic to each other. And that's so important because we are so connected to one another. Our actions, you know, even on a day-in and day-out basis with kindness ripple so far and wide. And I think that one of the things that's happened with, um, with modern life and technology is that we've become disconnected and isolated from each other. Sure. But also so, um, when, when there's um, events that happen, I know when, uh, when 9-11 happened, you know, the aftermath of that was a lot of people coming together Average people being heroes, a lot of empathy. There was um, a, a time when, you know, people would uh, be extra kind to each other and understanding and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, I think now that that is also happening. People are just more empathetic. I think so. And and it's um, and let's get into to what empathy is and the two different kinds of empathy because it's a really important distinction. So... There are two kinds of empathy. The first kind is called effective empathy. And effective empathy is exactly what it sounds like. It's when you personally are affected. And it refers to the sensations and feelings you get in response to others' emotions. So this means that if your partner uh, is stressed at home, you start feeling stressed. And you take on their emotions. Right. And then there's another kind of empathy that's more of an in-control, powerful kind of empathy, and it's called cognitive empathy. And this is when you have perspective, and you don't internalize somebody else's stress, but you can understand somebody else's emotions and understand how somebody else is feeling and relate to them. Yes. um, There's a lot of crunching and crumbling happening. Are you rolling around in potato chips? I'm not. That's really interesting. Because <laughs> if you were, I'd be very empathetic, and I would try to understand what that feels like. Okay, sorry. Here's what's interesting. So I think that so effective empathy is um, 
it could it could be dangerous, right? We we it could uh, get us to kind of lose ourselves, no? Yeah, affected empathy can be dangerous, um, and and I think that you know when people feel empathy naturally, or they have a very strong empathy chip, like you were saying this to me the other day, you think I feel things more deeply than other people, yeah. and I think to some extent that's true. Sure. Um, the danger in relying on effective empathy is that you're not in control over the way that you experience other people's emotions, that you take them on, you become subject to them, you get lost in them, you try to heal them, you try to save them, and that leads to codependent relationships and, honestly, a lot of misery. Yeah, um, the word that comes to my mind is meshment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So as, co as coaches, we have to uh, practice cognitive empathy rather than effective empathy, correct? Yes, yes. And cognitive empathy, perspective-taking, um, is when, you're, when you can engage with another human, when you feel um, like you have an understanding of where they're at mentally and emotionally, um, where you identify with their emotions, but you hold that space with a boundary mm -hmm. around it. And you empathize with them. How do you create that boundary? It starts from within. Yeah. Um, that boundary has to be internal. And, you know, sometimes we were actually just talking about this on Sunday with our new catalysts in training. They said, well, what do you do if you have a client and you can see that client's problem and they are just unwilling to change? And I said two things, you know. That's not my story, and that's not my problem. Right. And there's, and that sounds a little harsh, but there's, you can have, and I can have the most empathy in the world for someone going through something, and I can believe in them, and I can know that they can overcome it, and I can um, have faith in their capacity to turn their life around. However, I'm not the one to do it. Yeah, you know what? Uh, one of the greatest misconceptions about life coaching um, is that a lot of people think that if they can't change the other person, then that's a direct reflection on how good of a coach they are. And you really have to cut that because that is not true. Absolutely. And, and beyond coaching, it goes for all relationships. You know, right. Um, right. I, I think it's really hard um, to be in a relationship with somebody else and watch them experience pain and watch them experience struggle and set that boundary of saying, it's not my story, it's not my problem, um, yet I'm going to stand next to you, I'm going to stand with you, and I'm going to, you know, be strong so that you can figure out your own shit. Yeah, man, I love that. And you know what we're talking about is so important. I just posted um, a photograph that I saw, and I was like, wow, this is, this is a, what a healthy relationship looks like. And it's basically two people in um, bathtubs, and they're kind of looking out at the world, but they're in two different what I call containers, um, and I think a lot of people think, you know, a healthy relationship would be those two people in a jacuzzi, and that's the meshment, that's the uh, codependency, um, and I think in relationships, uh, no matter what kind of relationship, it could be your friend, your, your, your child, or it could be your, your husband, wife, whatever, they are on their own journey, and support doesn't mean to control them or to fix something, it's, it's, um, it's guiding, it's being with them, it's holding their hand, not, um, taking their steering wheel. Absolutely. And when you have empathy for somebody in that way, you're actually empowering them. Mm, right, instead of, instead of enabling them. Exactly. You're empowering them to do the work. And that's, 
you know, a solid relationship, whether it's a friendship, a sibling, a parent, a, a lover, you know, you guys are, are going to be at your best when you're both standing solidly. Yeah, and I wonder how much of it is cultural, because for me, um, you know, I got married kind of young, and I used to think that love meant, you know, we're basically one person, you know, <laughs> it's all or nothing. It's like, we, I didn't see, I thought that if you really love someone that you basically sacrifice your own self, you know. Um, Love is compromised, but love is not compromising self. I, you know, I think I had that. I got married young too, and I think that I had that view as well. That, um, that you know, you had to kind of lose yourself and your own sense of agency in the relationship in order for it to um, be effective. And and I think what happens there is that after years and years and years, you have one person in the relationship whose goals have been actualized or who has been supported or who has been the focus and the other one ends up just pissed off and bitter right that's a pretty common thing yeah um yeah so i want to circle this back around to um talking about cognitive empathy and talking about you know as we have our own life stories and um and using our own life story as a way to engage in empathy with others, um, but also using our story as kind of a boundary to make sure that when we're working with someone or even working or engaging in a friendship or a, or a, a conversation with a partner that we're not making it about us. Right. So when you're a coach, you tend to share your story up front, and that's what attracts people to you. And we've seen so much, especially in the past couple of weeks, the power of the story, the power of the narrative. And that's really what we've built our whole collective of coaches around are all of these unique voices out there in the world who are saying, you know, this is my deal. This is what I went through. This is how I can help you. And that draws people to them because, you know, people are like, oh, I want some of that. You know, I want to work with somebody who's been through what I've been through. But then you actually go into the coaching conversation not supposed to be about you. It's supposed to be about your client. Right. And so, you know, how do you as a coach use your story um, to help your client without making it about you? What do you think? So I um, believe in this, and I've been doing this for the last decade. Uh, I think the way that you use your story is you have to really think about, are you sharing your story? Is that about you? You know, are you tap dancing? Are you showing off? Are you telling someone that this is how something should be? Or are you using your story so they can, uh, for them, meaning that they could relate to it, um, they could, you know, feel better about where they're uh, at, or they could learn something from it. So it's this whole, like, giving or taking mode. And I think a lot of people, um, if their intention is sharing their story to help someone else, I think it's powerful. I think when you are sharing your story in a very taking, or if there's ego involved, or you're bragging, or you're, you know, verbally vomiting on someone, then now you're taking, and that's not correct. Absolutely. And, you know, I think um, a really nice mechanism to use empathy and pull from it in the room is to say, you know, I remember when. Like, so I, I, here we go. I remember, I remember I had a, a client who was going through a divorce. And I remember that, like, fucking point of pain that she was sitting with. And in that moment, I remembered when I was in her shoes, when I was at that spot. And rather than telling her what I went through, I just simply said, you know what? I remember this. I remember this feeling. I remember this space. I have 
complete empathy for you in this moment, and guess what? You're going to be fine. Yeah, so, you know, when when uh, when Noel just said, I remember when, basically it, it draws you in, it pulls you, and you're also connecting with your client. Um, when you say something like, you know, well, this is how it should be done because this is how I did it, now you're talking at them instead of with them. Absolutely, and, you know, saying I remember um, is also uh, hopeful because you're now as a coach on the other side. And, and your, um, your active position of having lived through your story is like a, a, a beacon, it's like a lighthouse yeah. for others to kind of say, well, I can do it too. Um, and so I think that, you know, the, even the act of sharing your story and having that bravery is, um, is kind of given, you know, giving to collective empathy with, you know, with, with everybody. And I think that's what we've seen with this Me Too campaign. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, like, so for me, sometimes I'll even say, um, you know, this is what worked for me, and I'll share a story. Mm-hmm. You know, yep, um, that's a good one. I really believe in the power of story. I think that there's this tipping point when you um, not only accept and embrace your story, which first of all is really hard because most people don't like their story. Most people want to uh, rip out chapters of story of their story or things that you know happen that that that's lined with shame and guilt, but when you get to a point where you actually accept it, but then also embrace it and then start to share it, there's a point where it tips. And where it tips is when it becomes bigger than you. And this is what we're talking about, using your story to help other people. So when other people are benefiting from the divorce you went through or from the addiction you overcame or the, you know all this kind of stuff, your journey, then it's not about you. Then your story is really powerful because it's affecting you know, many, many other people. It is, and and it becomes a collective experience, Mm. and I think that's the important piece, is that the more people who stand up and say, I'm imperfect, this is my story, and this is how I overcame it, you're giving permission to everybody else out there who feels ashamed, who feels scared, who feels stuck, to get on their own journey of life and move the fuck forward. And I think that's why it's so important for people to be vulnerable, you know, and especially people in media, people that, you know, uh, that the, the world thinks have uh, lived perfect lives. When they, you know, when they pull the curtain back, it's so much more powerful because um, we have this perception on, you know, celebrities and, and other people out there in the media who we think, you know, quote, unquote, are perfect. Nobody's perfect. Everybody struggles. I was talking this weekend um, to our catalyst in training about the concept of Sonder. Mm, what's that? Son- Sonder is cool. It's it's kind of like an urban dictionary type term, but I think it's um I think it's becoming really resonant. Um, Sonder is the concept that you know when you walk around on the street, you're in your own head. You're mm-hmm. stuck in your own thoughts, and those thoughts go down deep. And you're you might be in a rabbit hole. You might not even be noticing the colors on the trees around you. Everybody else who's walking on that street is having the same kind of experience of being in their head, in their interior, thinking about their own lives, their own fears, their own dysfunction. And you know, and oftentimes when you're in that moment, you feel so alone. Yeah, yeah. You feel like you're the only one. You feel like, you know, your shit smells the worst. And it's just simply not true. We are all collectively having this human experience 
of being alive and, and really struggling existentially with, with who we are. That's actually what pulls people out of the quicksand, I think, the, the most, the fastest, is when you have that feeling or that sense of community or that real, realization that you know, you're not the only one. Um, it's when you feel like you're on an island where things get very dark very fast, you know? A hundred percent. And, you know, we know that connection to others is the first step in fulfilling meaning and purpose in life. Yeah. And that, you know, oftentimes, um, because we are tribal creatures, because we are hardwired to be part of a group, to be part of a community, it's that simple act of connecting, mm-hmm. of of having a me too in whatever form it exists for you that brings you back into the fold and kind of opens up your heart and your psyche and gives you um, like a new threshold to start living. Yeah. So what do you prescribe or what do you recommend to people who actually um, right now are listening to this and they feel very alone? Well, I think the first thing to understand is that loneliness is a natural part of human existence. Mm -hmm. Um, everybody experiences it, and I think that when people experience loneliness and isolation, it's easy to internalize it and feel like there's something wrong with you. Um, There's nothing wrong with you. Everybody goes through it in different seasons and flavors of life, and what the chemical experience of loneliness actually is or feeling alone is a signal to you that you need to get back with your tribe, that you need to get back around other people. So rather than taking it as, um, as a death sentence or a sentence of some sort that you must remain alone, ashamed, or isolated, take it for what it is, a chemical reaction that's telling you to get back with other people Yeah, and yeah. start taking steps towards that. I think a lot of people, uh, maybe it's pride, I don't know what it is, but they feel like, oh, you know what, I can do this by myself, I don't need others. Um, and I think that in that, with that mentality, you're just creating your own prison. Um, you're not meant, here, here's the thing, you're not meant, maybe you can do it by yourself, but you're not meant to. And why would you, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, if, if we were capable of all quote-unquote doing it on our own, then every single one of us out there would be living our best lives, would be living the lives of our dreams. But the reality is that we need a network. Yes. We need other people around us. We need to be connected in order to thrive. Absolutely. And speaking of network and connection and community, um, let's talk a little bit about what we've built. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I never anticipated that our life, our world, our community would be like this. Mm. And I'm so proud. So what we have built is an amazing community of almost 7,000 people, almost 200 coaches, all coming together in complete acceptance um, and love to hear each other fully, to share stories, to share narrative, and to partner with people who are going through the same things and to partner with our coaches to go out on the journey of life and accomplish their goals together. Yeah, and I want to just make clear, Noelle's not talking about, you know, our 100,000 plus followers or reach. She's talking about our community as in, you know, the people that are very active, establishing relationships offline, engaging, um, like, a, like, a, like a legit real community that, that is, uh, you know, supporting and encouraging each other every day. 
Yep. We have events. We have meetups. Um, a bunch of people um, in our organization are doing a Friendsgiving in the Midwest. There's going to be a retreat in Asheville. We do a retreat in L.A. I personally have flown all over the country meeting members of our tribe and our organization and our coaches, and it's awesome. Like, you know, I've been saying forever, it's amazing that you can get that many people together in a group and there are no assholes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, we've been very fortunate. There hasn't been, you know, hecklers or... Uh, but but also we've been really good, I think, at setting the temperature so we attract people, we, you know, like-minded people who are really about you know self betterment and wanting to live better lives. Yep, doing life together, becoming the best version of yourself through community and coaching. That's mm -hmm. what it's all about. Yeah. So um, if you guys aren't in it, then um, please jump into it. We have a, a closed Facebook group called This Is Your Tribe. And Noelle and I are reachable, um, but also let's you know let's talk a little bit more about um, how how to now. I think a lot of people listen to podcasts; they get a lot of information. Um, going back to this idea of practicing cognitive empathy, um, whether you're a coach or not, you know how do you start applying this you know into your relationships? I want people to leave with a takeaway, um, not only what it is, but how can they start to you know actually practice this. Sure. So we mentioned so there, we mentioned boundaries, right? That was the first one. Well, I think I think when we're talking about boundaries, the, I think the the more important piece with boundaries is to know what it feels like to have a firm boundary, mm -hmm. it, because it takes practice and balls to say to someone in your life, whether it's a client or a partner or a friend, you can do it and then step back and let them do it. You know, I think there's a natural impulse and a natural inclination to get in there and do it for someone. Right. So you have to know what your own internal cues are. Do you feel a tightness in your throat? Do you feel something in your stomach? Do you feel stress when you're around somebody who's stressed out all the time? You know, are, are your, the first, step one is figuring out if your boundaries are broken. And if you're experiencing that on a regular basis, it's time to tighten it up. And how do you tighten it up? Um, I think self-talk is really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, asking yourself, will this person's problem, you know, matter in a year? Mm. And just kind of doing your own self-assessment. Um, I think that's really uh, helpful in relationships, you know, because it's really hard to watch a partner struggle is to kind of do your own reality check of like, is whatever this person's upset about, is this going to matter in a year? Um, and put it in perspective for yourself. And then um, being honest with your partner, your clients, your friends, and just say, you know, like, I have my own shit and, and this is yours. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I think it's, you know, redefine what it looks like to care for someone because uh, my definition, um, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago is very different than my definition today um, and this overlaps uh, being uh, cognitive, practicing cognitive empathy. Um, caring for someone isn't controlling. Caring for someone isn't, um, you know, a lot of shoulds in your senses. Caring for someone isn't uh, determining what is best for someone. Um, caring for someone is supporting, guiding, understanding, um, and, and, you know, practicing empathy uh, with boundaries, right? Um, understanding what they're going through, uh, uh, but not 
um, not 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 fixing. So at, you know, at our at our company, we talk about uh, creating instead of fixing. And yes, and and creating versus fixing is the action of um, of goal accomplishment, right? Of of building what you want in your life. And I think when it comes down to interpersonal relationships, it's learning, not fixing. So you you come from a stance of I want to learn about this person. I want to learn what makes them tick. I want to learn what their pressure points are, what their vulnerabilities are. I want to understand them so that I can empathize with them, but I'm not going to change them, run their life, do something for them. Here's what's really interesting um, and also can be challenging is if someone is used to effective empathy, right? So, um, so my parents are old school. They have a very codependent, dysfunctional relationship and my dad uh, is completely addicted to and expects effective empathy, meaning, um, you know, hands-on, blah, 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 you know. And when you, if you were to, if that person was, if you were to actually practice cognitive empathy with them, there would be a lot of pushback. He would think that you didn't love him because now you have some kind of boundary, which is healthy. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard, that, that expectation of, when I'm stressed, you must be stressed too. Yes, yes. He would, uh, you know, at, at an early age, at age 10, 11, 12, you know, our family was in debt, and he would tell his kids, and we were just kids. I mean, we didn't have the ability to, you know, uh, go out and fix our family debt, but he would put all his anxiety, worry, I don't know if we can make it, I don't know if we're going to be in America much longer. I mean, things that you shouldn't be telling your kids. So putting his anxiety and his worry into us, um, into his kids, and, and I think he did it because, it, it, with his definition, it just means we're a family. We're all in this together. We all, you know, either survive or don't together. Um, and maybe that was his definition of love, but it definitely wasn't healthy. And it now, as an, a grown up, that has made me wired to worry and you know think that the sky is falling. Yeah. So if I were coaching you through a situation with your dad, you know, a really effective. Um, statement is when X happens, I experience Y. So to to say to your dad or to say to a romantic partner, you know, when, when you pop off, when you fly off the handle, when you demonstrate your stress in this way and expect me to come along with you, this is what I experience. And this is what I want to experience differently. Yes, um, I don't know if that works with our parents because our parents are dried cement. <laughs> but, yeah, right. But but definitely that is kind of the um, the format. Is uh, uh, and guys, this is a tip when you're communicating that um, if X then Y, and and the Y should be this is how I'm feeling, and it's not so much that you are saying you make me feel a certain way or that there's blame, but this behavior, these words, this action makes me feel this way. Yeah, and and it even works in terms of like you know. When I said X, Y, Z, this is what I thought was going to happen. Instead, this whole other thing happened, and I was really surprised. Right. (laughs) You know, let's get back to the root of what I wanted to experience in the relationship. And if the other person has tools, um, they will address how you feel and create a safe space for you. You know, they'll validate your feelings, um, and then you communicate back and forth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's how trust is built, understanding, and that's how people feel connected and not alone. Indeed. And, um, and it's healthy. If that's a, yeah. that's a, that's yeah. a, a healthy way to exist in a relationship. Yeah. 
Well, guys, um, we hope that uh, this conversation was helpful. I mean, it's, it's interesting to just not only look at empathy, but look at the uh, two different types of empathy. Um, we hope you guys um, actually not only listen to what we're doing, but practice it. So practice cognitive empathy instead of effective empathy. Um, and what else, Noel? Where they can reach us? Or what other, what other uh, how do you want to end this? Other information? Absolutely. So I take calls with anybody who's interested in becoming one of our Catalyst Life Coaches. So if this is something you've been tinkering with, if you like listening to us, if you are interested in gaining skills to better run your own life in addition to possibly becoming a coach, um, book a call with me. You can get to me through our website. Uh, you can continue listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, our Facebook communities, and find about find out all about what we're doing with our tribe, our events, and our communities. All right, guys. Magic and science signing off. Uh, <laughs> hope you guys have an awesome day. And sub- subscribe to this podcast if you um, if you want a notification when we um, when we uh, air these, and we will continue our dialogue and try to help you guys um, live a live a more meaningful life. Awesome. Awesome.